Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Where's This Going? Before we get started today, I want to thank my sponsor, U.S. Wellness Meats. At U.S. Wellness Meats, all of their beef, lamb, bison, and dairy products are 100% grass-fed and grass-finished. They also offer pasture-raised heritage pork, free-range poultry, and wild-caught seafood. U.S. Wellness Meats has over 400 all-natural whole foods in their online store at uswellnessmeats.com. All of their foods are raised on family farms dedicated to sustainable and ethical principles. They do not use any pesticides, herbicides, antibiotics, growth hormones, or GMOs. The owners are the farmers themselves, and they supply nutrient-dense, all-natural foods to professional football and baseball teams, colleges, individual athletes at the highest levels of every single sport, health professionals, respected gourmet chefs, fine dining establishments, and families all over the country in every state, Canada, and Puerto Rico who are looking for the best food on the planet. Use promo code PODCAST, that's P-O-D-C-A-S-T, for 15% off your order today at uswellnessmeats.com. And before we get started, I also want to remind you that I've gotten a few requests about uh, my website and where you can contact me if you are looking to potentially sponsor the show or just more information about myself and the, the Where's This Going podcast. Please feel free to check out felix-levine.com. There you can find all pictures, photos, video versions of every single podcast. You can find contact information. You can find links to my sponsors. And if you are a sponsor and interested in sponsoring the show, there you can email me and we can try to figure something out. Again, you can also follow me on Instagram at felix.levine, on Twitter at felixlevine. And make sure to uh, subscribe to the podcast on both YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have just a second, drop a comment, drop a rate, drop a review, all of that good stuff. And let's get into today's episode. And my next guest is an actor, producer, tennis player, comedian. She featured on Bravo's Summer House reality TV show. She's absolutely wonderful. She does it all. Please welcome the fantastic Hannah Burner. And we're live. Hannah Burner, I'm very excited to have you on the show today. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. So, as I told you a couple minutes ago, <laughs> is there a little story, a little tidbit, a little fact about you that the world already doesn't know? Or are you 100% out there? It's funny because I, I really am 100% out there. Um, we... We have a little history because we both played tennis at Beacon. We know a lot of this, and your mom was my prince. I mean, there's like— Oh, wait, I didn't know that. I kind of forgot. We had a conversation a while ago. We had like—it was weird when I first found out about you because I had heard about this like little prodigy tennis player (laughs) girl that was on the guys' team at— Our our high school was Beacon, for people that don't know. Um, Beacon. Beacon. Uh, Blue Devils (laughs) or Blue Demons. Blue Demons. Come on. Sorry, Polly Prep was Blue Devil. It's a whole thing. Yeah. So and and I went to MS fifty one and Hannah's mom, the great, the great Lenore Burner, is the uh, the current principal. Was she a bitch? No, she wasn't, and she was always well dressed. She, my mom is an icon. Like my mom, and every your guy that, too. My gram, my grandma's a little slut, but <laughs> every guy who dates me falls in love with my mom because my mom is me, except she has her shit together. Mm. <laughs> In every way. It's like, if only you could, like, be organized and successful. But so my mom is the shit. And she runs a school of, like, how whatever many... Like a thousand little... Crazy little brats. brats um, and they're bratty parents and they're bratty fucking teachers. And I'll call her to be like, Mom, I don't know if I should have sushi or if I should have Chinese food. And she's like, hey, there's a kid running around with a scissor around the school. And I think um, some kid in the basement is trying to put a bomb in a bathroom. So I'll be right back. Like, my mom has real shit going on. No, yeah. And I'm just like, I slept in today, and like, should I watch Mrs. Maisel or Fleabag? I don't know. And she's like, I have to call you back. Like, she always answers me, and just like, it's just like, I have real things going on. I hope you're okay. As long as you're alive, I have to go save people's lives at this school. I remember 
I didn't have that many interactions with her because I was the good student and didn't go to the principal's office. But <laughs> I remember that she was always uh, she was always well dressed. She was always smiling. Yeah, she has a great smile. And she uh, she was just a she, she's a good leader. You know, she's just like a good someone that you would be very happy call, calling your principal. There's that. Thank you for that. Um, there are not a lot of good leaders out there. I think a lot of people get into leadership. Pos- positions because of ego Mm. and they like to like show their dominance and my mom is really one of those people who is just a team player and wants the best for everyone and pushes herself like the principal before her I'm not gonna say names but like his when I was there I wish that she was the principal when I was there because I would have just like cursed out teachers and been like what what um (laughs) just sat on their desk that bratty bratty kid no I was such a I was a um I'm I'm competitive, so just like a game player, I just want to get A's and get out. Um, I didn't really retain any information, but I was like, "What I have to do to get an A? Okay, bye." Like I was just an athlete, just wanted to play tennis. Um, but my mom, she's the previous principal would always have his door closed. My mom's door is always open. There's always people running in and out. She's handling from the parents to the kids to the teachers. She's everyone's like emotional, like therapist and. I'm just, she's retiring soon though. And she's, it's interesting to see her have like a second chance at doing like stuff she wanted to do before she got on this like teaching thing, which was kind of just a convenient thing at first when we were kids that she could like come home early. And then she kind of went up the corporate ladder to the top of the education game. Um, She's killing the game. But now she might want to get into jazz singing. Oh, I heard she was a singer. Yeah, she always. I think I remember this. She always wanted to do jazz, but her, like her brother, was like doing acting, and she kind of wanted to go a more logical route. And I think her seeing my weird career <laughs> trajectory, she's like, "Well, if Hannah's doing crazy shit, because people talk shit about millennials." Um, just how we don't listen to the rules and stuff. And instead of my mom kind of having animosity towards it, she's like, I'm going to learn from that and I kind of want to do that with my career. So she's like 55, 56 and she's going to start something new and I'm excited for her. Wow. Yeah, that's that's one of the, the things that I wanted to get into uh, later on is, you know, uh, well, one of the one of the big similarities that, it's weird because I feel like before I even met you, I had kind of, I felt like I knew you in a sense just because, you know, we went, sort of to the same middle school. Your mom was the principal. We went to kind of the same high school for a little. Mm-hmm. We had the same tennis coach. Um, the whole tennis thing. And and for me, what I'm, what I'm curious about with you is, you know, having played tennis for, what, 20 plus years um, and then making a quick pivot into, like, you know, new worlds that, you know, you probably didn't imagine when you were playing tennis you'd ever be in. Mm-hmm. Was there ever that fear um, of what if I'm not good at this? Because, you know, you were very good at tennis. Mm-hmm. And so, and as you said, you're very competitive. Mm-hmm. So what's that, that trans, what was that transition like when you're going from high-level tennis player to then reality TV or comedy Great or question. podcast? Great question. So I always, I'm like a big thinker. Like I always think big. I'm always like, I want to win the U.S. Open. Or I want to be the best at this. And I know it's, I probably should unpack that with my therapist because I need approval from people, but, or I like feel like I need su- notes of success for people to like me, but that's beyond the point. The point is, is that after tennis, I like could have gone on tour, but it was just, I didn't get a sponsorship right out of college and it was going to be so expensive. And I just didn't want to burn money. And I was also like so burned out from four years of every single day waking up at 6 a.m. during the week, traveling every weekend, like never having a decision on what I want to actually do. (laughs) And it sounds crazy, but like, I don't like being controlled like that. I didn't like the aspect of my life being so controlled. I wanted to get control back and I quit. And then I was like, what I first, well, the last semester at Wisconsin to keep your scholarship when you're done playing tennis. And it took me like four and a half to graduate because they only let the athletes take so many credits because we're stupid. So then I, in that last semester, a lot of athletes will just work like at the library or something. But I asked the athletic communications department if I could do um, broadcasting because I'm like, I know the athletes. Can I go in and like do highlight videos? And I kind of knew how to edit. 
but they like I honed my editing skills. I they put me on like women's basketball and I'd watch the game, write the highlights, cut it up and get it out. And I would also like t- if you like go to YouTube and search Hannah Burner Wisconsin, you'll see these like goofy videos of me do and they were getting like decent amount of views. They put me on men's basketball once when Frank Kaminsky ended up like a random game. He broke the single game scoring record, broke Mike Finley's record, and it got like fifty thousand views is on viral on Barcelona Sports and I was like, Hi, this is Hannah Burner. Um, but I like loved it. I loved being in front of the camera. I loved talking about sports. I was a little annoyed because I grew up in a sports family. Like my grandpa was a basketball coach. My like basketball is life in Brooklyn. And I was sitting there in Wisconsin, like watching the game, and these men would be over me and they're like, Do you know what a double double is? Do you know? And I was like, Yeah. I didn't just sign up for this job because I'm pretty. Like, I, I know what basketball is. I've played it. Like, leave me the fuck alone. So I was a little annoyed. I would get annoyed by those, like, microaggressions of just being in, like, a male-dominated space. However, like, I'm used to being in a male-dominated space with tennis. I always trained with guys since I was, like, nine years old. So anyway, after that, I was like, I want to be a sports broadcaster because I was just relaying my sports knowledge However, and I love being in front of the camera because I don't shut up, but I didn't want to go to like a small town like Kansas City or like, I don't, I don't even know small towns. I'm such a New York hick. I'm like a small town somewhere. <laughs> so I just was like, I want to go back to the city. And I guess I wanted to show my parents that, and you'll see a lot of my decisions in the beginning are like based on other people because tennis was very like, what does the coach want? How high do you want me to jump? What do my parents need? Like, just tell me what to do. And that's, I just wouldn't, you don't listen to your own voice a lot. Well, like when the coach is like, are you nervous? Are you okay? Are you sore? You're just like, yep. You just suppress all your emotions. So my first job after college, even though I loved video and I love sports broadcasting, I should have just listened to my intuition. I was like, I want to show that I could be like a businesswoman. And I got into sales because my dad's in sales and I was doing cold calling. Wow. It was, it's, I was like on that masochist vibe where I was like, I'm done torturing myself with tennis. Let's do cold calling. And the guy in the interview was like, do you realize you're going to get rejected all the time? And I'm like, yeah, in a match I win 6-4-6-4, I lose like 40% of the points. So I'm, that's, I'm like made for this. And after a year, I was making like six figures and I was just killing it. But like in between every call, I just go to the bathroom and like look at the wall and be like, is this what life is supposed to be like? Like, this isn't fun. This isn't, I don't like taking from people. I'm, And that's when I had to kind of search a little deeper within myself to be like, what do you actually want? But when you've been so kind of brainwashed or put in one thing for so long, you're not used to checking in with yourself. Like, I never checked in with myself while I was playing tennis. I just knew what I was doing and I was good at it. And I had my struggles and I was just working through my own struggles. But finally, I realized I don't want to take, I want to create. So I was selling digital marketing and then got a job where I was doing digital marketing for a t-shirt company. Turns out, not as creative as he thought, super boring. And it was like a four-person company and I ended up basically doing customer service most of the time. And then like some social media, which was kind of fun, but you never, the high was gone. This is only a few years ago. This is only, yeah, so I was... 22 to 23, I was doing sales. 24 to 25, I did marketing. Okay. So at this point, you're, you know, I'm getting, I'm getting up there. But did you ever feel like uh, empty? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but also, like, did you ever feel like because your whole life you probably assumed perhaps you'd be a professional tennis player was part of that also? hard for you to realize, okay, I'm not doing that right now? I think that during those years, there's a reason why I wasn't like really listening to what I really want to do. And it's because I was still, um, I was still mourning the loss of tennis. It was like the worst breakup of my life because tennis was my relationship. And after it, I really did... They always say like, you're going to feel loss of a sense of identity. I just remember like going to bed and thinking like... Why did I put my heart and soul into this for so long if I, if I didn't go pro? And, like, I could have gone pro, but, like, I was— I, th- this, It wasn't fun for me anymore. The highs of winning were gone. I just was avoiding the lows of losing. Like, I would just win and feel nothing. And it was—and then I was, like, dealing with— I had a lot of performance anxiety. I think 
I didn't deal well with like pressure from other people. Like if it's just for me, I'm like good. But it, when it was like winning for my team or like my parents are spending a lot of money on me, I would just like, like I'd lose my forehand. I would lose my second serve. I was underhand serving at Wisconsin for like six months because no. I just like couldn't. I was playing one for Wisconsin underhand serving. Yeah. Like I was kind of, gangster. it was gangster because I, and I would win. Like I'm messy. I would, they called me like winning. I win ugly, but it was torture. Like all I cared about was winning and it was torture. And I f- wasn't in love with the game anymore, but I didn't even know that. But then afterwards I'm like, why did I go through all this torture? Because I'd always be like, this torture is going to be worth it. I'm going to win the US Open. And then I'm just like 22, like, no passion for anything in bed just like crying like why did the world do this to me like which is very like victim oriented but I just didn't understand like I didn't see the big picture I just felt like I wasted my whole life doing something that I didn't even love that much what also feels like sorry that got dark but no I I would imagine (laughs) that the way that you bounced back was probably also because of tennis and because you had that fighter mentality um, that you need to, to be a successful tennis player. I had this like emptiness after tennis where I didn't feel like I had a purpose. And I it's so weird because I just, I think I, I didn't find my voice. And then when I found my voice, everything changed for me. So I- Is there one big moment where you feel like, wow, okay, I found myself, I found my voice? I think- what happened is I was in, I think you just have to hit a real low. So I was in Vegas selling t-shirts for this company in this like stupid, like one of those big like conferences. And I'm just standing there for seven hours. And then it was like midnight and we were putting in orders and I was with my coworker and I was on the computer and I pulled up an old Wisconsin video of me. Like, and I was like, I would need to do that. Like, that's what I need to do. And I just, in my head, manifested, like, I want to do video. I'm going to do video. I don't know what the extent. And I always deep down felt like, I recently was speaking to a professional tennis player, Julia Alibaba. She's like, she won NCAAs. She's, but she's like huge in the East. And she reached out to me recently because she's like, I love what you're doing. And she's like, I've been injured. I'm having trouble. And I was like, you have to understand when you're great at one thing, it's very easy to parlay it into other things. As in like what made me good at tennis, yes, I was I was naturally athletic, but I was good at tennis because I was I loved problem solving. I was a psycho workaholic. I was had a weird belief in myself. Like even when the girl was like so much better than me, I still believed I should win. And sometimes these things were bad, but sometimes they were good. There were just a lot of parts of me that made me successful in tennis that so easily parlay to real life. But the point is, is you have to find where to put all your special skills into something that you fucking love. So that's when I quit my marketing job to do some like freelance thing for a month that paid decently. And then my friend said, hey, Betches is looking for a video producer. Five years experience. I heard you want to do video. So this is what I mean by manifesting people. It means the world has like a lot of things going on. But if you focus, it's like when you're trying to get over an ex and everything reminds you of that ex. It's because that's what's top of mind. If you change your top of mind, like my top of mind was video. I was talking to people about video. I was seeing opportunities I didn't see before. And this person I had to talk with about video like five months ago, he messaged me and was like, Betch is looking for a video producer, five years experience. And I go, I don't have five years experience. And they're like, just submit a video. You're really funny. Submit a video. And I was like, we're from Brooklyn. Everyone's funny in Brooklyn. Like I, I always had funny friends. I never was like, I'm the funniest. My, my dad's hysterical. My grandpa's hysterical. But I have a sense of humor. I submit a video to Betches. They call me in and they say, oh, also in the meantime, I had a free internship at scout.com, which is like, so I'm 26 or 25 and a half at that time. Um, Free internship with this college sports network where I was like honing my editing skills, but I really was just as a video intern, but I was just giving them stats on like college football, which was pretty boring. Um, but, But it made me look more legitimate to Betches. That I'm not just like not doing anything. Also, 
my friends are like, ooh, Hannah's like not doing well. <laughs> Hannah's like has a free internship. And I'm like, but I know the bigger picture. Even though I didn't know if it would work, I just knew what I was trying to do. So Beth just calls me in and they go, you have no fucking experience. But I was like, I have all these ideas. Also, it's social video. Like I'm a 25-year-old millennial. If someone knows, all you do is send funny gifts and like make stupid Snapchats to your friend. I'm like, this is what I do every day. I probably have more experience in this than anything in my life besides tennis. So they go, we think you're great. We're going to pay you $300 a week and on freelance. And then we'll see where we go from there. And that's where Betch's boot camp began for me. So that's where for the first time I had like a fire inside me again. I was writing 80 memes a week, like tweets, which is basically like a joke writing, like boot camp. And then I started doing, they told me we don't want your face in any videos. They have 6 million followers. So there was a weird like thing with like, they didn't want anyone to blow up, which is, we'll get into that later. It makes sense, but, um, I mean, it does make sense, but it makes sense for what happens later. So <laughs> they, I was making these, like, graphic videos, and none of them were, like, really blowing up. Like, 10 guys who were ugly hot, or, like, 8 things models eat that you wouldn't think they eat, or some shit like that. And finally, they're like, can you do, like, an SNL-type sketch? They, I don't have, like, a videographer or anything. I'm like, okay. And, like, my mom was trying to film, and I'm like, this is bad. Some guy on my flag football team is a wedding photo photographer and videographer. And I was like, can you film a one-minute video for me? We'll pay you 50 bucks. He goes, great. I did When Bay FaceTimes You, when Bay was a thing. <laughs> and it's me, like, in my it's pajamas. Like, that's 2015. That is some 2015 <laughs> shit. Bay, <laughs> before anyone else is what people for people who are listening. So I look, dad. So I look at my, it's basically me in my pajamas and my phone rings and says bae and I have my headphones in and I go, wait one sec, I have to find my headphones. I run to the bathroom and it does all these like quick jump cuts of me like putting makeup on, curling my hair. Then I get a ring light, I put it down and then I go, hey, what's up? It hits a million views and they're like, can you do this three times a week? And I was like, yes. And I when I say I felt inspired for the first time in a while, like I was working weekends. I was just writing, 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 filming, 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 editing, editing. I was in like this high of work. I just always felt like a workhorse that didn't have anywhere to run. And finally, like I found my lane. And that's like how I got back into something I loved. And then things went from there. So then from there you go into then Summer House comes in a few years after. So like... Uh, let's, I like to say like the second I manifested, I want to be in video two years later, I was on a national TV show, which is fucking crazy. And I don't mean to sound like the secret or anything, but when you like start saying it out loud, you're like, that's kind of cool. Basically I was putting myself out there and I had interviewed summer house people and I was friends with some reality people and I was friends with just like some outgoing media people and summer house was recasting and my name got thrown in. And they called me and I was just like, I mean, I grew up in Brooklyn. They were looking for like a New York, real New York City person. I was like, I go to Long Island to play tennis all the time. And I'm like, if you're, if you're looking for like a messy party girl, I am that. No, I'm just kidding. I was like, I'm not really that. But if you're looking for someone to show that women could be like strong and athletic and funny and leaders and entrepreneurial, I'm like, I'd love to do that. And I'm like, and I'm open about my shit. I'll talk about depression, anxiety. Like I'd been through, I, I wasn't a baby when I got this. Like I'd already kind of, I feel like if I was 22, I'd be like too insecure or too confused of like how I, who am I? And I was like, fuck, I've been low. I had like a terrible breakup too, like during that whole shift, like when I started Betches and I just was like, I just started to find myself again. So Summer House happens, Betches was not happy about it. But it was on the weekends, so it like they couldn't say anything. And then I talked to this lawyer who was like, so what are you going to do about Summer House? I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, they're going to give you the show. What are you going to do with it? And I was like, I've always wanted to start a podcast about like mental health comedy. Because I was meeting all these celebrities at Betches who were all like miserable. <laughs> 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 or like, just like, you just... In my head, I had looked up to like, oh my God, if I could be famous, I'd be so, like life would be different. Everyone would respect me, all this stuff. And I was meeting all these like successful, famous people. And I was like, oh my God, they're like more fucked up than 
average person. So I wanted to create a podcast where I talk to people about their dark shit, their insecurities, what keeps them up at night. But overall, with a comedic tone. So I start that, and then by the time Summer House airs, I have my podcast. Um, Betch has fired me, which is one of those things that, like, they basically said that, like, they felt like I was distracted. Some people in the company definitely were not happy that I was, like, on a TV show. And I at first I was like, this is so fucked up. I put my—I was the seventh hire there. I started their video team. Put my heart and soul into that company. And they basically just kind of, like, kicked me out. But then I realized, like, oh, I had hit the glass ceiling. Like, I wouldn't have quit myself. So from there, it's just been, like, podcasting, um, Summer House. And then very recently, I've... I basically got asked in April. Was it last April? Yeah, last April. Caroline's, the comedy club, DM'd me. Carolyn Gittimer who is the booking agent, who I will always remember, slid into my DMs and said, do you want to do a live show for Burning in Hell, which is the podcast name? And I was like, uh, I, I guess that's the next step. And my friend goes, you have to do 10 minutes of stand-up. And I had dated a stand-up, like a very successful stand-up for like a year. So I had was very familiar with stand-up. But a part of me was scared to do it because it was like his thing, which is so stupid. But like he's like, I just felt like it was his thing. And if I were to do it, he'd like talk shit. I don't know. I just was like, if I was going to do it, I wanted to know I really wanted to do it. But I was missing like Summer House Reality TV. I'm not like involved creatively in it. And the podcast is fun, but I was missing like a third out. Like I think with successful people, you're never fully like content. Content is like content. Mintness? What is the word? We went to school. Uh, I know you went to school. Went to school. Content. content. Being content. Being is (laughs) being content is Jesus Christ. Um, I'm a dumb jock. Being content is like the ultimate, like first step to just stagnancy. So like I just was like I want more. I want that high again. I think I was missing the high of performing. Which let's be honest, like you get that high when you're filming reality TV, and you get that high in tennis. And like ESPN actually wrote an article. I read it yesterday. Yeah, just how the connection of like what I went through with tennis helped me with reality TV, and that like yeah, um, Lindsay is fucking scary when she's drunk. But you know who's scarier? Like that girl across the net at Northwestern on the third set tie break, second serve, when I literally have zero confidence in my second serve right now. That scares me. But Lindsay being drunk and yelling at me doesn't. Is there something about also doing these different, um, being in these different fields where it's basically a one-man show? You know, whether it's tennis and you're alone on the court or stand-up where you're just standing there in front of a mic that tennis perhaps prepared you for and also I think uh I mean you know in my experience with uh tennis as well is Mm -hmm. you you get all the credit when you win and you get all the credit when you lose yeah and uh you can't pass the ball you can't call a timeout exactly so I stand up you can't just be like I'm done in five minutes I'm done you're so right and because when I first started dating this stand-up he was like uh, like stand up you wouldn't understand my art and I was like actually it's kind of similar to tennis you're like out there and there's a variable of like not just your performance but like with the audience you're traveling every weekend alone when you bomb it's your fault I'm like tennis is so similar to stand up and that's how we kind of bonded and I think I felt that high again that I was kind of missing from tennis which is like it's it's up to you again like I'm always I think tennis players are very entrepreneurial Like, you're kind of, like, out there, like, you got your ranking, your sponsorships, and you're working it. And, like, the lows are so low, (laughs) but the highs, I'll, like, lose a match. And I'm, like, I'm pretty sure that I'm the worst tennis player that ever played tennis. Then I win win and it's like, all right, yeah, what's next? When when I win, (laughs) yeah. So I I end up, my friends, like, do 10 minutes of stand-up. So I first started to get traction on social media, which is, like, obviously important for me from tweeting. Because I had already been like writing tons of memes and I actually have always loved writing. At MS51, I was in the drama department. I loved the like... Shout out Mr. McEnany. Mr. McEnany, <laughs> my boy! Um, I would I, I did like the screenwriting stuff there. I love the, the playwriting. So I, I just... You sometimes like forget what you're... Like think about what you like to do before society told you what to do. Like when I was... 
9, 10, 11, I loved writing. I loved reading. I was so silly and I was trying to get attention in the stupidest ways. And then tennis kind of subdued all that. It was like where my parents were like, put all this maniac energy into a sport. And then I kind of refound myself in that like silly kid again. And I was writing tweets and they started to go viral. And then when my friend was like, do 10 minutes of stand. I got like 40,000 followers from just my tweets like being shared around the internet. So I just like looked at my tweets and I was like, this is how I'm going to write my first stand-up set. Like tweets are either like buttons to jokes, like punchlines, or they're like concepts that I could write out into like bigger jokes. And I put my first 10 minutes together and the first time I did stand-up was in front of 250 people at Caroline. Jesus. <laughs> Which is insane, but also... I was, my heart started beating really hard. I basically just didn't know what was going to happen. Was it the same feeling as stepping onto a court before a match? So it was the exact same feeling, kind of. Except once I stepped on the, I stepped on the, um, onto Caroline's, the stage. I'm like, what's, what's the word? Sorry, this, it's 11 a.m., which is very early for me. The second I said my first joke and got a laugh, my heart rate just went calm. It was like I was with my friends. And sometimes with tennis, that wouldn't happen. Like, I'd have a sick feeling in my stomach the whole time. I never calmed down, which, like, made me, like, a psycho. Like, every single point I had to win, even if though I was playing crap or ugly or, like, sliced every ball. And it, but part of me was like, wait, maybe this is what I was meant to do. Like, because they don't even say, like, with boyfriends or girlfriends, the relationship where it's just, like, this crazy high, like, isn't, actually right for you sometimes it's like a person that feels like home and calm and like having a microphone in front of me with people watching can make some people puke but like for me I just felt alive and the 10 minutes was so fun I was afraid that I was gonna have performance anxiety like tennis and just like blank I just was afraid of blanking I didn't blank it was so fun then I did some other segments and the show was great and then since then I've done I did like a little tour I did um, Punchline Philly. I did Long Island. I did. I sold out Laugh Boston. I have DC Improv coming up. I'm doing stand up during the week, but it's like it's been. I'm like five, six months into it, so it's fairly new. But I have like kind of a new passion for it. What is uh? What's Lenore's take on reality TV and the stand up life and all of that? Lenore is the fucking best. I think they've because of tennis, where they've seen me go through such an intense journey. Which was great because like at least on that day I got a full ride for college, um, <laughs> which is like what I tell myself. I'm like, you didn't pay for college, you don't have debt. But my mom and my dad are just like, whatever makes you happy, we don't care. They listen to all my podcasts, which are so inappropriate. But but my mom's always been the cool mom. Like I was the oldest of my family, so I'd be like, mom, like like what's a blowjob? And she'll be like okay, I don't want you to be a loser in school, so I'm going to explain this to you in the most professional way. But, like, she's just the coolest. I tell her everything. She's my best friend. And with Summer House, she was like, ooh, the Hamptons, that sounds fun. My dad was on season, the first season. Oh, I saw that. Like, we had an intense talk with tennis because I basically was like, sometimes the lies got blurred between, like, father and coach. And I think at first I was so scared, like, oh, my God, am I going to make, are people going to hate my dad? Because of that, like, because my dad's also, like, my best friend. I love him so much. But, like, we had a complex relationship growing up. The amount of messages I got of people just being, like, I've had the same relationship with my dad, with, with soccer, or with basketball. It was guys and girls reaching out. It was just, like, a great... What I basically learned is I, like, was put on this earth because I have a huge mouth. And I'm, like, for some reason fearless with a lot of things. Like, granted, I can't hit a second serve sometimes, but I can talk in front of 250 people. So, like, I just feel like once you feel something lights you up, just, like, keep doing it. And that's kind of where I'm at now. We talk about that that relationship um, with your dad coaching because I know um, I relate to that in a, in a very different way in the sense that my dad was scarred from his dad coaching him. So he always made sure to stay out of it. And mm. I had my coach. And, and Was your dad a tennis player? Yeah. Oh... So he, uh, so he, he knows too well. He knows too well, and uh, he broke a few rackets himself. So he knew yeah. what it was like to have just the pressure in general that that one puts on themselves. And then, and for me, you know, like I put a lot of pressure on myself already. Already, so having a, a parental figure put more was not healthy. I don't think. But will you talk about that? Um, 
Were you ever able to separate dad from coach and coach from dad? Well, the problem is, is like my dad, my, my dad's dad, it's the same thing. But his dad didn't really, his dad was a basketball coach and just cared about the team and like didn't really focus on my dad that much. And I think my dad almost wanted just to like give me the attention he didn't always get, which is sometimes like my dad basically loves me too much and he believes in me too much. <laughs> like I'd be like playing the number one girl in the nation. And he's like, you're going to win. And I'd like lose and he'd be like, what the fuck? And I'm like, dad, like this girl's good. But anyway, <laughs> I remember when I was like nine years old and I won my first like level three. He lit up like he was in the parking lot jumping around. Those level like, threes were huge. Those level, you got, I started like level three, level two, level one. I did it, it the right way. And he, um, he was so happy when I won and I like, clearly never forgot that. And then, like, when I'd lose, like, we'd both be in, like, the lowest low. Mm. And he really was, like, living vicariously through my tennis. And it took to, like, everyone else was, like, telling their parents not to come to their matches. And I was like, I love my dad. And then finally I was like, okay, dad. Like, I feel like your pressure so much. Like, I want to impress you so much. And, like, it wasn't his fault. He just was so into it. And finally, like, when I was 16, I was like, I'm just going to go to this sectional alone. And... I won the sectional. I beat like a girl who won NCAAs in the next coming years. And he was like so mad. But it was also like it said something. And I think it took also me explaining to him like, Deb, I don't. When you're young, you don't question what your parents do. You're just like, this is how they are. But then I recently read a quote that was crazy, which was like, you don't realize as a kid growing up that you're also watching your parents grow up. Mm. and my parents like my dad was like dealing with his own stuff but just like was giving me everything and sometimes I just like didn't need the attention I just want to figure it out myself and I think that ultimately like I explained that to him and he was like you're so right and I'm sorry for ever like you know making you feel like I was disappointed in you because I never was um so from that we kind of like had a little detachment through college and then what I'm working on right now is, if we're getting really deep, is that I associated, like, love with me accomplishing something. So, like, in dating, sometimes I feel like, oh, I have to have a lot of accomplishments for someone to like me. Like, actual accomplishments of, like, I did this. Yeah, like, I'm on a TV thing. show or I'm on my podcast has whatever. Listen, Why is <laughs> or, that? It's, like, because I learned at a young age that, like, you get affection when you win. Mm. So, it's, like, I'm working on, like, just loving myself for, like, forget any you know, titles you have or things on your resume. Like you want to find someone who just like loves you for you, which like I think will happen. But it's like what I, you learn from your growing up and your relationship with your parents on how you relate to yourself. So how does one work on that? I think it's, it's like being aware of like the men you're choosing. Like I've dated guys who I felt like I wanted to impress where, like, you should never feel like you need to impress someone. Or, like, other guys who have similar, like, they're all about their ego. And, like, it turns into, like, kind of an ego relationship. Because I've dated guys who were, like, I've dated guys who are famous. I've dated guys who are rich. I've dated guys who are, you know, six, seven, whatever. It's, like, my whole tweets came out of, like, do I actually like him or is he just tall? Like, do, a lot of the time I'll date a guy, like, seven months in. And I, like, bullied him to date me. And then I realized I don't even like him. I don't even like you as a person. So, like, I'm just detaching from my ego and trying to think just, like, what do I really want? What really makes me happy? Because that's what's been working with my career is detaching from my ego. Like, even comedy right now, I have no ego. If I go up and, like, it doesn't go well, I'm so proud of myself for just going up there. And that's what I wish I had with tennis, which I didn't. And it's also because I was, like, at a young age, I was doing well. I never had, like, an injury. I never had, like, a lull where I was losing a lot. And I wish I fucking did because I could have stopped and re figured out like how I approach the game like literally when you're always kind of winning or you're always like kind of top 10 in the east you never change your habits like I was even if I like I just I didn't stop to be like hey maybe you should like be a little more free on the court and I just every match I had to win always and it was fucking exhausting we're going to take a quick break. <laughs> We're going to talk about Manscaped, Hannah. Yay! Support for Where's This Going comes from Manscaped, who is number one in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for all of your family jewels. <laughs> Hannah, how do we feel about men who use the same trimmer on their face and on Oh my God, I've balls? never even thought about... 
I never even thought about sounds that. Disgusting, just like it? do it after you shower, but it does sound kind of gross. Just use a different trimmer now. Yeah, use a different trimmer, I guess. And just tr- don't like take it all off. Just like make sure it's not manscape. like yeah, just manscape. <laughs> Man, I got news for you. My friends over at Manscaped created the only tool you need to shave your balls. It's called the Lawnmower 2.0 for a reason. <laughs> the Lawnmower 2.0 is an electric trimmer worthy of getting up close and personal with your family jewels. Best part of it is that it will not nick your sack. Lovely. It's perfect for travel. It's small, so it fits in your travel bag. It is convenient USB charger, and it's TSA approved. And of course, let's not forget about the Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant, Hannah. Ball deodorant. <laughs> Uh, Chafing's real. It, 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 uh, <laughs> I, I suppose so. You already put deodorant on your armpits, so why are you not putting deodorant on the smelliest part of your body? When it comes to all hygiene, Manscaped has you covered. They even have a new cooling antifungal foot, foot spray for athletes like uh, like yourself. Oh, nice. You, in case you have smelly feet. I do. Say goodbye to stinky foot funk and dry skin with Manscaped Foot Duster. Get 20% off in free shipping using pro... Using pro. Using <laughs> promo code... WTG at Manscaped today, and we're back. Nice. Manscaped, love them. I love them. Love them. Love that. We should get them sponsored on Take your show. Take care of yourself. I have like a lot you of women. Too- I have a lot of women that listen. You, so you can I'm, womanscape. I can womanscape. Um, but lately I've been doing laser. Oh. It's abrasive. I'm a masochist. <laughs> um, I, was, I was wondering as well, since you stopped playing as much as before, for me, when I stopped playing competitively, I couldn't play because then I just got competitive. Yeah, I, and then you're like not as good as you were. Oh, and you yeah, and then it mad. makes you so fucking sad. And when your you, footwork just and isn't the same. And you're slow and you run 10 seconds and you're out of breath. Oh, my Are God. You, tennis cardio. It's like oh, it's, it's, a different, it's a different Well, thing. after tennis, I taught that summer. I taught tennis on my grandpa's court on Shelter Island. like, And it was great. I got like a good little savings account before I went to move to New York City. And then like... What's so annoying is, like, guys will ask me, like, oh, do you want to hit, like, on a date? Because they played in high school once. And I'm like, we can't. That's not going to go well. But I have found the key is finding other college athletes who are the same as you. And, like, I have this friend, um, Emma, who played for Tulane. And we'll go out. We get tons of Gatorade. We hit hard for, like, six balls. And then we, like, drink. And we're like, oh, we're so out of shape. And we do that for an hour. And it's really fun. But can you enjoy playing? Yes. I enjoy playing now, but I don't compete. You don't? No, I go out to hit. And my dad makes me play doubles with his friends sometimes, and I, like, kind of have fun. But, like, I'm not—I don't have the—I have zero urge to compete ever again, unless if I'm on tour. Like, every now and then I'll hit, and I'm like, holy fuck. I'm like—my brain is much more mature and calm now. I, I swear to God, sometimes I, I really feel like I would play so much better if I, like, went back into training because my mind is better. And I'm like, I should go on tour. I like hit one winner and I'm like, I should go on tour. And then I'm like, no, Hannah, stop. But um, it took me, I'm 28. It's taken me like five years and I still have like tennis nightmares. I have tennis nightmares where like the, <laughs> the grip is like a string and you're trying to play a match and the grip is a fucking string. So the, it isn't making contact and you're just like, no, I don't know what's happening. Like, so I should talk to therapists about that too. <laughs> I still have tennis nightmares, which is not great. But like, it's, it's a process. Healing is a process. And yeah. And also there's, uh, because the other thing that we have in common is, so we both went to, to Beacon High School. Shout out Beacon. Mm-hmm. Um, you were there for your junior and senior years, mm-hmm. you were telling me. And we had the same coach, Baird. Yes. And when I saw him, as I told you earlier, I saw him a couple of weeks ago. And I asked him about you because I knew uh, you were going to come on. Um, and he was just like, Hannah was perhaps never naturally the most talented, but she worked harder than anybody I've ever seen. Um, you had, I think you had a New York Times article written about you yeah. where you were, uh, I mean, I'll let you explain it probably better than I can, but basically that you were at the time Beacon, or Beacon has had an incredible history with tennis. And you were just so good that the, the girls' team was not, especially at that time, it was not anything. They didn't have a girls' team. They didn't team. even have a girls' team. Yeah, that's, this is interesting. So I had been playing in Florida at a tennis academy because I was ranked like 
at 14, I was ranked like 15 in the nation. And the coaches were like, if you want to go pro, you have to go to Florida, which in hindsight, I kind of regret, but whatever. I went to Florida. They changed my forehand grip. It was a whole thing. I started playing internationally. I like had no confidence in my forehand. My parents are spending money on me. It started to get, I got ranked like 250 in the world and 18 and unders when I was like 15 like so it's like good like the numbers are there but I didn't have the confidence and I started to just like get depressed and bad anxiety and I just ultimately was like I want to go back home so I get back to it's junior year this is like when colleges are starting to like scout I have no national ranking just an international one and I'm just feeling lost confused I actually almost quit tennis I remember going to a tennis court. I was like really upset and I was with my dad and my dad goes, this is like a crazy memory. He goes, you're going to hit this ball. And after that, you're going to tell me if you want to play or not. Regardless, I still love you. And I hit the ball and I was like, let's keep going. So my mom, we heard Beacon had a good tennis team, but they only had a boys team. And I had a meeting with Baird. I remember I got there, I sat down and he was like, yeah, we want you. We'll get you We'll get you into the school. We'll get you... I mean, I had to, like, get into school academically, but he's like, we'll get you on the team. It's going to be great. Um, we end up winning the, like, city championship, the, like, New York... Yeah. Like, we won all the championships. I, I think was, they I, won it, like, 12 years in a row. It's crazy. But I, um, I was... The first year, junior year, I was playing first doubles with Emran Chowdhury... Milo Hawk was there when I was there. I mean, he was my coach at Randall's. Oh my God. Was he a dick? Yeah, totally. He said she's always grumpy. But when he <laughs> says like Hannah wasn't the most talented, which was fucked up. But um, I'll talk to you later, Baird, about that. Milo was this lefty with the most insane talent I've ever seen. Yeah, but like so lazy. Not lazy, but like if he... No, he's not listening. I know he's not listening. Uh, he, well, it's he knows. Like basically like... I think, like, athletically, like, my hands and my movement was, like, top-notch. But, like, I wasn't, like, my strokes weren't perfect-looking. And I would, like, over—whatever. That's, what, that's what Baird meant. Yeah, Milo could do it. I was ugly. I played ugly. Milo was just—could do stuff in his sleep. He had—he was the most talented person I've ever met. And and these guys really put me under their wing. Because I came in, like, new in junior year. And we just started the season— when we won the city championship, that's when issues arose. Horace Mann's coach, I don't even remember his name because it's not important. No, no, no. Wait, not Horace Mann. Mendoza. Wait, what is it? Um, Mendoza? What is it? Cardozo. Cardozo. Whatever. I, clearly these things, I didn't care. But the Cardozo coach lost his mind. And basically, like, because all this media started to come to the matches, like New York Times, the Daily News, and they were, like, following this girl who was winning on the boys team because I had like I was undefeated or something oh wait the next year I was playing three singles so I was like undefeated and it started to get and the the Cardozo coach lost his shit in front of reporters and was like this isn't fair that they have this ringer on the girls team if I could get my girls on the boys team like that would like it was just a weird argument Basically, he just was like, this isn't fair. <laughs> and it was such like an empowering moment for women everywhere. And I also think I was getting some media traction too because I wasn't like trying to look like a guy or play like a guy. Like I had a long ponytail and I was just girls tennis. Also, I'm playing high school boys who haven't, who put like maybe invested 5% of their life to tennis. I'm traveling the world playing tennis every day. If I lost to them, I'd punch myself in the face. So, and he was basically saying that it's not fair because it's a lose-lose. That if a guy beats me, whatever. And if he loses to me, whatever. I'm like, that's how I feel when I'm playing 12-year-old Russian girls. Like that's part of the game. And it's not a physical game. Like, so you don't even know how many of the r rackets guys broke playing me. And Beacon guys were so supportive. They would mess with the other team. They'd be like, hey, take it easy on the girl. Take it easy on her. And I would like win 0-0 in a second because the guy doesn't play tennis. Um, but the pressure came after we won the city championship. There's the like, um, what's the, oh my God, I'm going back in my memory. What's the um, tournament they play at the end? Mayor's Cup. The Mayor's Cup. So I lost to Shanann Featherston for a couple years. She's so talented. She went to North, play for North Carolina. Um, but it was my final year. And they were like, well, Hannah's playing with the girls because this is a singles tournament. So this is where I had to be like, I deserve to play with the boys. And like your girls, if they had played on the team, would have lost to us anyway. 
And I get to the finals and I'm playing like the top girl at Cardozo in the finals, of course. I was so nervous. I remember I like forgot how to hit a backhand that match. I sliced my backhand the whole time. I just, that's what I do in my life. I won, I got down 5-2 because I need to do that stuff. Mm. And then I won 7-5. I don't remember the name of any anyone, but I remember the scores of everything. I won 7-5-6-2. And it was a very like beautiful moment for everything. So because of all the media attention, there's a New York Times article, which was really cool. And like Baird and all the guys are just the fucking best. And I ended up getting a full ride to Wisconsin. The um, Public School Athletic League granted Beacon a women's tennis team from that. And my dad went on to coach that team for like three years. And it was this beautiful full circle moment where like my dad was like giving back to like New York City schools and coaching. And like my dad is really an amazing coach. And Beacon had a girls team that ended up winning. And it was just like amazing experience and like probably one of my favorite parts of playing tennis. Are you still as competitive in what you're doing now? Yes, 100%. How do you tame that sometimes? Great question. It's a different kind of competition where... I had to work really hard with tennis. There's a lot of comparisons because it's like one-on-one. So it's like, why don't you hit your back in as good as that girl? Why didn't you win that girl? That girl's younger than you and she's doing better. Why didn't you work as hard as that girl? And I dealt with a lot of jealousy and I had to really work through that to be sane. So when it comes to now comedy and this, I'm like, this is art. Like we're doing art. I'm competitive with myself where I'm like, I just want to get better and better. I'm hungry. But at no point am I, am I ever like rooting against anyone. Right now I realize like, why my podcast has been doing so well and I think my comedy is doing well is because I have such a great circle of people in the comedy community where I'm like, yeah, I'll go on your podcast. You come on mine. You come on mine. You share this. I'll share yours. And we're all growing together because tennis is like we're all trying to take each other down. We're podcasting and comedy is like we're growing together. We're all different. And that's why I realized like it's just great, like collaboration over competition is what I like to say. But in my, I know what I can do in my head and I'm very, very stern with myself with that of like keep pushing and keep practicing because you have a lot, a long way to go. But with other people, like when I see my friends successful, I think other comedians can be really competitive and I'm like, dude, you're not playing them across the net where you really want you want to kill them this is a girl who just she got a comedy central special amazing she's my friend which means like i could just surround myself with that talent and one day like when i do that she'll promote me and like it's just like a full circle beautiful community of like really talented comedians in new york city that i love where do you think you find that that motivation and that that incredible passion for working hard i think that it's from a young age because of tennis it was instilled in me but what is there something that there's like a, you get a chip on your shoulder? Great question. The people they say successful people have like the right amount of like a little bit of ego and a little bit of insecurity, and I do have that chip on my shoulder. I do, and it comes from like with tennis. Like my family wasn't necessarily wealthy, and I was I grew up in Brooklyn, and I was competing against like the rich country club girls from Long Island and Westchester, and I always just had this like my dad would always be like play like play like a basketball player like Kenny Martin or like the Knicks, like go out when, well, the Knicks suck, but go out there and like, and just like do you. And I think I always had that chip on my shoulder of like, you don't need to be rich. You don't have to be smart. You don't have to have the best strokes, you know, the best coach. Like it's just you. I like to create something out of nothing. And um, I also have like that little thing where it's like, I feel better about myself when I, and I'm like, I'm lazy all the time. Like, I love napping. I always think about napping. I love sleeping. But I always, I just feel like you live one life and I want to try to accomplish anything that I want to accomplish. And I really think if I manifest that I will. Do you set goals for yourself? How does that, how do you Great question. push yourself? Great question. I'm very like, I don't have any five-year plans. I think five-year plans are limiting. I think if you, if you know what you're going to do in five years it's limiting because you have no fucking clue what technology is going to be in five years. I might be like viral on an app called TalkTick. You know, you never know. So um, that's a new thing. Soon, that's Hannah a Burnham's new thing. I'm creating we'll it. We'll drop it. We'll drop it. Yeah. Hell yeah. 
Um, or like the Manscape app. You never know. So I feel like I, I'm very small with my goals. Like I just have lists all the all the time. Like right now, I know I have to. I have a podcast later, and I have to edit two videos, and I have two comedy shows tonight. I just focus on that. I want to do the best at that, and then be honest with yourself. Be like, you know what? That video wasn't that good, or you know that set wasn't that good, and that you need to stop telling that joke because it's not funny. And you I don't know why you still like it, but it's not funny. So it's like a combination of being hard on yourself, but then also empathetic with yourself. Like you know what? You worked your little butt off all week. Don't do shit this weekend. So like it's it's balancing and it's like a combination of being pushing yourself to accomplish the little goals every day, but then also being empathetic with yourself that like it's okay if you do like didn't do any of it. And <laughs> just like I'm working on that balance in my life. And how do you humble humble yourself with, you know, in the past basically couple of years, you've had a lot of success in in, in ways that you I imagine you probably didn't ever think yeah. would be the case. How do you, um, you know, through the comedy, through the podcast, through the social media following, still remain humble and and grounded? It's tennis. Like, I think people don't really, like, my whole life since I was, like, 10, I had this weird, like, I'd get on the court and coaches would just be like, yeah, this girl's got something special. Like, I had this, like, these words in my head that, like, I was this great thing because that's all what coaches want to do all the time it's like she's gonna be great i want to work with her so like i from a young age has have been given this weird treatment where people put me on some kind of pedestal that i actually didn't like <laughs> like i just want to be left alone and like stop giving me this weird attention and like project all these like things on me i just want to like do my thing so when this and like i've been used to like having articles written about me or like have i've been used to that from tennis so now that i'm doing something i actually love doing it's like I, that's all I care about. I really don't give a fuck about the like, I want to pay my rent and I want to be happy. Like those are the only two things I want. And I, I'm saying this because it's like tennis, I dealt with such bad anxiety despite having like accolades and a lot of respect. But I had so much anxiety and I wasn't happy. I had like a terrible breakup where in like around 25 when I got into like a deep depression for like seven months, like I wasn't eating. All this stuff has made me into the person I am today where it's like, I wake up, I want to finish whatever little goals I have on my list and I want to not be depressed. I don't want like my mind obsessing about negative things. I want positive self-talk and I want to be able to afford a studio in Queens with my cat. Like I have these really small things that like I realize life is important. I just want to be happy. And when you realize happiness is just not being depressed because you were depressed, it's like things change for you when you change those expectations. How has, and and I think your podcast uh, does a great job. I was listening to a bunch of episodes oh, cool. the past couple of days. That makes me um, happy. How, for people who potentially um, don't have that natural work ethic that you do, but, you know, feel those same feelings of anxiety and depression, mm -hmm. um, what has worked for you to kind of get over those and perhaps break out of that? Those low Felix, points. you asked some amazing questions. Thank you, I think you have to. What gets me out of the bad anxiety is realizing that those voices in your head are not you. When I realized that, game change for me. The, those voices in your head are your parents when they were younger criticizing you, your coaches saying mean stuff to you, your friends bullying you. That's where those voices are coming from. They're not authentically you, and you don't believe them. So when you hear those voices, don't let them affect you. Like, be like, I'm having an anxiety moment. This is anxiety and it helps you detach from it. And then it doesn't like sink in to you believing like, I'm not good enough. I'm never going to be good enough. I can't do this. I'm lazy. I'm a piece of shit. That's not you. You is that like kid who was seven years old who like was just happy and believed in themselves. And you can find that again. And I think like work I think everyone has a work ethic when you're doing something that you enjoy. Like nothing I do right now feels like work. And I would never, I'm like, oh, I'm crushing it. Look at my hard work ethic. I'm just like, when I get home at night, sometimes I watch TV and sometimes I want to write a script and I don't force it. And I think it's about not burning out too. Do things that you want and it doesn't feel like work. And how, how have you been able to, because I think what, what I also noticed um, with a lot of the tennis players that I grew up with, um, a lot of them, and this was one fear that I had was if, I spend too much time doing this tennis thing. And I think at one point you realize I'm not going pro. That's just not happening. 
my fear was I wasn't going to develop any other skills in any yep. other fields. Yep. And I think, and what what's really sad to me is I've been, you know, I've played those top 30 kids. I've been friends with those top, top kids in the country and perhaps an injury, perhaps X, Y, or Z. Mm-hmm. And they get out, they're 22, 23. Mm-hmm. They're not pro and they have no other skills and they don't have, what I, what I think is, and what, what amazes me about you is you were able to really quickly, you know, find other passions and because of your work ethic go into other fields. But for a lot of people, it's pretty debilitating. It's funny because I just watched, I had these great seats. My friend was a coach at um, Indiana and I watched at the Garden, Indiana, play UConn. And I'm watching these kids in their fucking prime and I'm, and it's like so cool and I'm watching them play and then I realize maybe only two of you are going pro. And like literally next year, a lot of you are going to be like security guards at a club. Like you go from the biggest high of being like the, like I literally went from being the captain of my tennis team to getting coffee and holding coats at a fashion internship. Like the first thing when I got out of college. So it's like, but I do think hone like what your skills are. Because in terms of, I think that experience doesn't mean shit. I They even have done studies that like doctors who have done, you know, their specific job for 40 years versus doctors that just started two years sometimes those doctors are more competent because they are like refreshed on all the knowledge and actually care more so like I don't I think it's about not getting down to yourself that other people have more experience because I really think experience is bullshit and everyone's faking it anyway it's finding like I was I always felt like I was the thing that hurt me with tennis was that I overthought everything. Like other girls just seemed like robots out there, the top, top girls. And I was like so aware of like that person walking over there. And like if my coach thinks I'm playing bad and like if my friend is judging me. But that's what makes my joke writing so good because I overthink everything. And out of all my crazy thoughts, maybe 10% are funny and then they do well. So I think for those people who they, you have another skill, you have to listen to yourself and decide like, a lot of people do great in entrepreneurial stuff, in um, sales as athletes, and like even like you right now, you just have to have the balls to stop identifying yourself as that one thing because no one's single, like faceted. Like no one is, don't pigeonhole yourself. It's only if you believe that. So I, I, I mean, we're not born out of the womb to be tennis players. Like we decided that because of a ton of different factors. So I really think that no one out there is meant to just be one thing. Are there other different fields and domains that you'd like to get into at some point? Great question. I love comedy. Um, I've done, when I started, I was like doing a lot of editing, doing a lot of directing, doing a lot of writing. So I see myself doing, I'd love to like have a talk show of some kind where I'm also like producing or and like have a hand in writing and stuff. Um, I'd like to, I kind of feel like I, I have my hand in a lot of things right now and I'm going to see where naturally they grow. Um, I also would like to get into acting. Uh, Mr. McEnany, you know, we have that. We have people like, what's your experience? And I'm like, Mr. McEnany, seventh grade, what up? (laughs) What up? I'd like to do some comedic acting, which I think is hard. Everyone's like, oh, you did reality TV. Are you scared it's going to pigeonhole you? Yeah, if I did reality TV 10 years ago, I could be scared. When the media just like controlled everything. But now when people like me on Summer House, they look at my Instagram and I control everything that they see. I'm like, here's my podcast. Here's my stand-up show. And next thing you know, they forgot I was even on Summer House. So I think I just want to keep doing entrepreneurial stuff. I could see myself in the future having some kind of business, whether it's like an app or like merch when I'm sick of like looking pretty all the time and having to put makeup on. I know you don't set five-year plans or or that stuff. Yeah. But where do you perhaps in a a dream world see yourself in – Let's go 10, 20 years. Oh my God, it's crazy. You're wild. Um, I never think about this, but I'd hope that I have, I hope that I have a family. Um, I always put my like career up in front. Are they going to tennis? Oh God. Little I, kids? I hope they don't. Could you coach? I'm going to let them choose. Like I'm going to let them choose. And if this bitch chooses the tennis racket, <laughs> fine. But I'm like, I'm going to be like your dad. I like, I'll support them in every way, but I'm going to be like so positive. Like I'm just going to be like, did you have fun? But who knows? I might become a psychopath. But I really, I hope I was put on this earth to learn from my past to then be, like, I love coaching kids. Okay, wait, this is really funny. Do you know what I actually want to do in 20 years? Do tell. I'm going to be, what am I going to be, like, 50? I want to, like, 
still be doing, you know, any kind of showbiz stuff because I like love that. But I want to basically live on a farm with like a ton of cats and like paint. You heard it here first. <laughs> I just want to be like painting with cats, painting cats, <laughs> painting cats. Twenty yep. years on a farm, it's beautiful. Yep. You can follow Hannah on Instagram at Being Burns. That's B E I N G B E R N Z. Yeah. Same handle on Twitter at Being Burns. Her brilliant podcast, Burning in Hell, you can find literally everywhere. Thank you. B E R. B E R. Yeah. I mean, get it right. Get it right. Uh, her website, HannahBurner.com. Tune in for Summer House on Bravo. February 5th. February 5th, 9, 8 Central. Yeah. Season four. Check it out. Hannah, do you have anything else to say to the world in terms of plugs? Um, I have a show at the DC Improv coming up, and I'm at the stand a lot if people want to see me there in New York City. Beautiful. Hannah, it was uh, it was an absolute pleasure to have you on my show. You are always welcome back. And it was uh Yay. And and I must say it. I would love to play tennis with you one day. I, I've played more than once, so I'm not one of those little <laughs> high schoolers like, oh, let's play once. Um, and and we're both competitive, so if we play a little set, um, I, I need to I need to practice a couple times. <laughs> but uh, but I'd love to. And uh, no, honestly, it's uh, it's weird because we've known a lot of the same people and mm-hmm. we've been in a lot of the same places mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and yeah, growing up in Brooklyn. Um, but it's uh, you're truly in, inspiring in the way that. Uh, to see someone work as hard as you do and uh, to have the success that is all well-deserved. And uh, I'm just excited to see what the, the next years in life Thank holds. you so much. And thank you for having me and reaching out. This was meant to happen. It was. Beautiful. <laughs>